Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Sabbath School Commentary. This week's Sabbath School lesson is on law and grace. And I want to read the memory text with you to begin our commentary this week. It's found in Galatians 2.21 and says, I do not set the grace of God aside. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So we can deduce a few things from this passage of God's word. Number one, righteousness does not come from the law. If it were, that's number one. Number two, if righteousness were to come from the law of God, then Christ died in vain. Or in other words, the sacrifice of the Son of God was in vain. Or it meant nothing. It it was for nothing. If you were to believe and to understand and to act as if righteousness before God came through law-keeping or through the giving of a set of of rules, then you would be setting aside the grace of God. Now think about this. You and I are unrighteous. Imagine then if God's plan to make us right was to deliver to us a code of laws. Now that, that code of law may be great and awesome and amazing, but the delivery of a code of law is not going to make you something that you're not. It's not going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And so if you know, the righteousness cannot come through the law because you can't become righteous through a written system of law or a written down code of law or a bunch of rules, a bunch of regulations, a bunch of statutes that are written down. They cannot make you right before God. They can't make you something that you're not. Okay, so imagine a person who, you know, was was in a boat that was sinking and lifeguards came and the lifeguards threw at them a, a rescue manual and said, here you go. But the people in the boat can't swim. They don't know how to navigate. They're, they're just, they're absolutely lost at sea and about to drown. Now you can throw at them, you know, a book that describes proper action in that particular situation or or good rules but but those people do not have the capacity the ability to to actually apply this manual you know this rescue manual they they're done they're done for this is an incomplete illustration but a fair one if you're in a burning building and you have no no way whatsoever to get out and then all of a sudden through the window a fireman throws a book And the book is about how to escape a burning building. Okay, yeah, it's not really going to help at that point in time. The lifesaver, the fireman has to get in there and help you and do something about the situation you're, you're in. And so the human race is in a predicament. We're born dead in trespasses and sins. We have a fallen nature. We're born in a, in in a, with the propensity and the tendency and the inclination and just everything about us is drawn toward evil and selfishness. And there's nothing we can do about it. And God giving to us his, his moral standards does not, does not help change what we are on a fundamental level. And so Jesus comes, the Son of God comes, and, and he gives himself as an act of grace 
and he atones for the sins of the human race, and he succeeds where humanity failed. And then he's resurrected on behalf of the human race, and he then goes to heaven to minister on our behalf, to advocate for us, and to apply the merit of his life and the merit of his atonement to us, for us. He intercedes on our behalf and advocates for us. And so, yeah, just wanted to elaborate a bit on this memory text before we jump in to each day's lesson in this week's lesson, Law and Grace. Now, Sunday's lesson is about the fact that the the law of God, the moral law of God, was in heaven before there was war in heaven. This is a fat, it's a really interesting point the lesson brings out on in Sunday's lesson. Um, and, and before we jump to Ezekiel 28, 15 and 16, I want to just point to something that the lesson says. It says, if you have moral beings, you have to have a moral law. Because if you did not have a moral law, what would define right and wrong. So it contends, the lesson contends that without a moral standard, then you, you, you would have no capacity to understand ultimately what was right and what was wrong. And so if there's moral creatures, free moral beings, they have the freedom to choose right and choose wrong. There has to be on some level, a law that defines what's right and what's wrong. And we would say that's the moral commandments of God, which are a reflection of God, of his person, of his character. In the law of God is the will of God expressed. And God is father, he's giver, he's provider, he's, um, he's an unselfish benefactor. And his law is, is really ultimately consistent with him. And he gives it for the sake of the blessing of his creatures, like a good father, like a good friend, like someone who cares for you. He, he, he creates everything in, a, in, in harmony with his character of love, his character of goodness, his character of mercy, his character of justice. And so uh, his beings are going to be governed by his law. He is their creator and he's their Lord, and as their creator, he understands how they function, what's best for them, how they operate best. And his, his law is going to give them parameters within which they can maintain happiness and health and wholeness. And this is what a good father would, would do for his children, provide for them parameters that are going to guarantee their happiness. I thought that was a fascinating point. It's just a, a very, very good point. Now, um, Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 15 and 16. I'm turning in my Bible to read for you Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 15 and 16. The Bible here is ultimately speaking of Lucifer, the fallen angel who was before the throne of God. It's doing it through speaking of a local king, but nonetheless, um, here we go. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created, till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you 
sin. And I'll just stop right there. So just think about this. Speaking about the historical fall of that chief of angels, the Bible says you were perfect at one point in time, but then iniquity was found in you. So you began to choose to disregard the the guidance of God, the will of God, iniquity, and you sinned, the Bible says. Now, scripturally speaking, the Bible says that that sin is lawlessness in 1 John 3 and verse 4. And in Romans 7 and verse 7, the lesson points this out. The Bible says that, and in, and in three, Romans 3 and verse 20, that by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so if Lucifer sins, this is speaking before the creation of the world, well, then God's law was in place before the foundation of the world. And this would make sense because if the law of God is an extension of his character, and if all created beings were created in harmony with God, and they're made in his image, they're going to they're be governed then by the moral laws of God. And their relationships are going to be governed by the moral law of God. One of my favorite teachers Leslie Harding said, love is a principle that makes and maintains ideal relationships. And the law of God is what defines those relationships. And so as long as you have relational beings that are moral and they're free, you're going to have God's law, which defines those relationships when they are ideal, those ideal relationships. Hope this makes sense. So, There's a statement from Ellen White that I just want to to read briefly in the lesson. The will of God, she says, is expressed in the precepts of his holy law. And the principles of his law are the principles of heaven. The angels of heaven attain to no higher knowledge than to know the will of God. And to do his will is the highest service that can engage their powers. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 109. Monday's lesson. The law in Deuteronomy. Now, if you've, if you've been reading the book of Deuteronomy and studying your lesson from week to week in this quarter, you're going to note that throughout the book of Deuteronomy, obedience is constantly encouraged. Okay, It's just constant encouragement, constant exhortation, constant push to obey, 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 follow, hear, apply, listen, you know, constant, every single chapter, just the idea of obeying God's commands, following God's expressed will, it's all over the book of Deuteronomy. But it's, we're going to talk about this in a, in a bit, but it's never advocated for, obedience to God's instruction is never advocated for with, with the attachment, then I'll love you, then I'll care for you, then I'll save you. The book of Deuteronomy is addressed to the people that had been saved. They they had already been delivered and provided for supernaturally. The Israelites could not get themselves out of Egypt. They could not get themselves through the Red Sea. They could not feed themselves in the wilderness. They were helpless in so many ways, but God provided. 
He helps, he sustains, he saves. And so you have this group of people who've been, they've been saved by the grace of God. God delivered them because he cared for them and he doesn't like to see people in slavery. But he didn't save them so that they could operate like slaves to sin still. He saved them so that they could live in the light of his love and live in the light of his laws, which are expressions of his love. And and he says things in the book of Deuteronomy like, Keep my commands, my statutes, my judgments, so that you may go into the land. In other words, the the laws that I give you are going to make you better. They're going to give you advantages. They're going to, how do you say this? They're going to have a positive effect. You know, the Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion, but the, but the wicked flee when there is no pursuer. There is a clearness of conscience that comes with submitting your life to the expressed will of God. Not because you think in doing so, you're going to save yourself. You know, God delivered to me this written code and I'll follow it and I'll be saved. No, no, God through his, his glorious gospel, through his unbelievably intelligent plan to save the human race, has rescued us from sin, just like he rescued the Israelites. And he admonishes us, just like he admonished them, to keep his commandments, to follow his statutes, because our lives will be better. And it will give us a strength and a confidence and a power that will make us unstoppable. And we will be able to enter into the promised land. He'll say things like, so that your days can be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So that when I give you this inheritance that I promised, you'll maintain it. Things will continue to go well. So in other words, keeping the commandments of God makes society itself more sustainable. This is what what God says. Basically, God lists benefit after benefit after benefit after benefit of applying his commands to their lives. And once again, this is not to for the people to be saved. They were saved. It, it was for them to, to keep their covenant with God. So I saved you. I provided for you. I sustain you. I love you. I've got your best interest in mind. It's what I'm all about. So let me just deliver to you my statutes, my judgments. These are rules for living. This is what defines good life. Apply it. And if somebody says, you, you know, the Israelites couldn't keep God's commandments, I would say, please explain to me what you mean by that. Now, do you mean they couldn't keep them in the sense that keeping them is going to recommend them to God and therefore they could be just before a holy God by, you know, following some external laws? Like, yeah, of course, of course they couldn't keep the commands. But if you, if you mean they couldn't actually live in accordance with God's revealed will for their lives, then I would say that's, that's silly because, because Jesus says, follow me. Okay, so why would Jesus say, follow you if you couldn't follow him? Now, of course, you can't follow him in your own strength, just like the Israelites couldn't, couldn't get across, follow God through the Red Sea in their own strength. But could they follow God to the promised land? Well, yes, they could. Could he sustain them supernaturally in the wilderness? Why, yes, he could. And can God give us new hearts and new minds where he writes his law upon our hearts and on our minds? 
why, yes, he can. Yes, he can. Like, I know he can. I've been addicted and freed from addiction and lived for decades now without touching those substances. You know what I mean? So, yeah, look, God can do abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And we can even bring into captivity, you know, the thoughts you know, every, every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I'm not talking about perfection in the sense that, you know, I'm not talking about sinless perfectionism and the idea that, that, uh, that I'm going to be sinless and God's got to accept me because I'm sinless. That's not my angle here. But God loves us and he cares for us. And he loved the Israelites and he committed to them statutes, commandments, and judgments that they could follow. They could follow. And in following them as a nation... They'd be happier, healthier, and more blessed. And this is what God wants for all of us. Now, Tuesday's lesson um, highlights a really, really interesting phrase. And I want to preach a sermon on this one day. And I'm going to call the sermon, For Your Good. For Your Good. Throughout the book of Deuteronomy, you see God saying time and time again, you know, I'm delivering to you these statutes and these judgments, these laws, these commandments. And and then he'll add this addendum onto it for your good, for your good. It's like I saved you because I love you and care for you and want you to have a good, rich, blessed life. But now I want you to keep these commandments. Here's all the reasons why. There's tons of positive benefit. But he'll say, because it's for your good. All my laws, all my instructions, they're for you. They're for you. I'm not just trying to get people to do jumping jacks for me. I don't, I don't need my ego to be fed by people arbitrarily just doing what I say. I want you to do what I say for your good. Now, let's read together Deuteronomy 10. I mean, maybe not together because maybe you're in your car. And if you're in your car, I don't want you to read this together with me. You can just listen. Deuteronomy 10 in verse 1, it says, At that time the Lord said to me, Hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and come up to me on the mountain. And make yourself an ark of wood, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, and you will put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, hewed two tablets of stone like the first, and went up to the mountain, having the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets, according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord had spoken to you in the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark, which I had made. And here they are, just as the Lord commanded me. Now the children of Israel journeyed from the wells of Ben-Jelin to Masarah, where Aaron died and where he was buried. And Eleazar his son ministered as priest in his stead. From there they journeyed to Gadgoba, and from Gadgoba to Jothathath, a land of rivers of water. At that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless in his name. To this day, therefore, Levi has no portion in the inheritance of his brothers. For the Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God promised him. As at the first time, I stayed in the mountain forty days, forty nights. And the Lord also heard me at that time. And the Lord chose not to destroy you. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, begin your journey before the people, that they may go in and possess the land, which I swore to their fathers to give them. Just a few more verses. 
And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today, for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, and the earth with all that's in it. The Lord delights only, the Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. Hectic conclusion to a story about their unfaithfulness. And so Deuteronomy 10 describes the second writing of the Ten Commandments. The first time, the first time God wrote his Ten Commands on tables of stone, the people got discontented by the fact that Moses was gone for 40 days up on the mountain and decided that they would start to dance around a golden calf and appropriate to the golden calf the salvific acts that were performed by God for them. And they danced around a golden calf. And so Moses came down the mountain and there was just a big scene, a big confrontation where Moses breaks the Ten Commandments. He executes the rebellious who won't repent and he burns the golden calf after grinding it down. I don't know if he burns it or throws it into the river. Well, nonetheless, he grinds it down, that's for sure. It was a horrific event. Now, the people had heard 40 days prior to them dancing around a golden calf, God speaking from the mountain in flame of fire. They heard the voice of God, the God who had delivered them from slavery. If the people who had enslaved them were idol worshipers, you'd think that they would have discovered that worshiping idols doesn't make you friendly and kind and nice. It makes you cruel and tyrannical and wicked and insensitive and selfish. But they chose to, to indulge themselves in worship that was akin to the worship of those who had oppressed them for 400 years. This shows us you can take the slave out of Egypt, but it's, it's easier to take the slave out of Egypt than it is to take Egypt out of the slave. It's the same with us. So God had saved them. He made a covenant with them. They immediately, 40 days after the arrangement is made, are dancing around a golden calf. Now, in themselves, just, I'm just going to say this, in themselves, in their flesh, there dwelt no good thing. They did not have the capacity to maintain their end of the covenant agreement with God that they would keep his commandments. They were bound to break his commandments eventually. At some point, as a collective, they were bound to. If they could acknowledge that, if they could understand that, they might seek God to the degree that you'd need to seek him so that he would change your heart. You would surrender to him to the degree that you would need to surrender to him so that he could change your heart and do the, do the, do the, do the impossible through you. Live his life out within you. Provide for you salvation from sin that was akin to the salvation he provided from Egypt. But they didn't see, they didn't understand. So we're 40 days after that, sorry, we're, we're, we're basically in Deuteronomy 10 at a place where God has rewritten the Ten Commandments. Moses has brought them back 
down to the people. And God is saying to the people, hey, guys, what do I require of you? Appreciate me. Respect me. Look what I have done for you. Love me as I've loved you and respond in humble submission to my will. Live and walk in my love. So this is, this is God's appeal. And so the lesson brings this out. And, and, and really, ultimately, my friends, if you love God, you will keep his commandments. If I love God, I will keep his commandments. If I don't love God, I will not keep God's commandments. If you don't love God, you won't keep God's commandments. We should love God. But how, you know, I had a girl come up to me at a youth conference once and she said, you know, I don't love God. I'd like to, but I don't. I gave her two answers. I said, you know, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, here's how we, we can understand the love of God. It says in the old King James Version, here's how we, how does it say it? Well, I won't say it in the old King James Version. This is how we can perceive the love of God. Here's how we can conceive of the love of God, that he gave his life for us, and we ought to give our lives down for each other. So it's in beholding him giving himself for you. It's in recounting, in contemplating, in meditating on, in fixing your eyes on him and, and, and allowing all that he has done for us to sink in to us that produces love that produces appreciation, and then us doing the same for others. That's how we perceive the love of God. So I told her that was, that was part one. And then sec- secondly, I said, you know, have you ever seen someone doing something that was what Jesus did? Like, you know, a warrior in a war, you saw, you heard a story, you read a book, and they gave their lives for their friends, or they did something very brave to save the lives of others? And she said, yeah. I said, how did you feel? She said, I loved it. I I just had such emotion for that person. I said, well, have you ever had a family member or a friend do something that was similar to what what we see Jesus doing? And she said, yeah. I said, said, did you love that in them? Did you love that act? And did you love the spirit that drove them to that? And she said, yeah. And I said, okay, you love God. Because what you saw in them was the heart of God. And it was being manifest in them. And they were acting in harmony with the Spirit of God. And so you do. So Wednesday's lesson, it just points something out. And I'm just going to make a few comments here. I'm going to leave you with reading the verses and considering the lesson. Throughout the book of Deuteronomy, God reminds the people, like throughout the whole book, he reminds them, you were slaves and I delivered you. You were slaves and I delivered you. This is the theme of the whole Old Testament. You were slaves, and I have delivered you. This theme is carried over even into the New Testament. And the salvation that was experienced by the Israelites is, ends up serving as, as kind of a, of a metaphor for what Jesus has done for, for the human race. The Ten Commandments are found in Deuteronomy 5. And they begin with God saying, I'm the Lord your God, which has brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage. And then he begins to say commandment number one, you will have no other gods before me. Then commandment number two, not to make any graven images of any, any likeness of anything under the, heaven above, under the heavens above, the earth beneath, or the water beneath the earth. And then not to take God's name in vain and to remember the Sabbath, to honor your mother and father, and so forth and so on. So the Ten Commandments are given. 
But they're given after the declaration is made. I'm God who saved you. I'm the one who saved you. I delivered you. So I'm going to give you these commandments. This indicates to us, these are the commandments that free people keep. This is what freedom looks like. These commandments are what freedom looks like. Freedom is not doing what you want. It's fulfilling the purpose of your design. And we were designed by God to live in harmony with his love. And his law is an expression of his love. It's love in action. And I've said this before. And so I freed you. You were slaves. But now you're free. And here is the moral code of law that truly free people practice in their lives. And so here you go. Here you go. Free people don't worship anything but the God who deserves to be worshipped. They have the sense in themselves that to worship anything else besides the true God is to cheat yourself. It's to steal from yourself a blessing. It's beneath the dignity of children of God to worship anything but the one who brought them into existence. You cheat yourself when you worship a car or a career or an educational status or a relationship or a person or a fashion or what the world thinks of you or whatever. There is a God, a creator of heaven and earth. And when we fix our mind on that glorious infinite being, we, we are, we are, we're personally benefited by that. We, we gain a blessing because we're relating with the source of all power and all life and all love and all goodness. And in our worship of him, it, it's meaningful. And our relationship with him can actually produce strength and power and healing in our life. People who are free, they don't take God's name in vain, right? They, 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 they don't worship rocks and, and, and form images out of wood and, and metal. Images that, that reflect their concepts of God. Really, we could go on, but, but my basic point, the Ten Commandments are the laws of freedom, the laws of true freedom. And this is, this is indicated here. Now, the seventh-day Sabbath in the Ten Commandment law, as written in the book of Deuteronomy, it, it basically, you know, there's an addition to it from Exodus chapter 20. So the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days will you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you will do no work. You, your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, the cat, your cattle, or the stranger that's within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything that's in them, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. That's the fourth commandment of Exodus 20. But in Deuteronomy chapter 5, as soon as it says, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, or the stranger that's within your gates, it doesn't say, for in six days the Lord made. It says, for you were a slave in Egypt. Interestingly, what Moses is doing, and the lesson brings this out in, in really clearly, but I want to just touch on this, is that, is that the Sabbath of the Ten Commandments is given added meaning and added value. They had been slaves, and as slaves, they couldn't keep the Sabbath. And so now Sabbath is not just a memorial of creation. It's a memorial of redemption. And it signifies not only that God is creator, but it also indicates that God is redeemer. And the seventh-day Sabbath becomes a sign of freedom, a sign of, of, of salvation, of redemption from those things that oppress and, and keep you down and chain you down. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. 
So there's a principle here that, that I think is just important to consider. In the midst of the moral Ten Commandments, there is a sign of redemption. There's a sign of grace. It's a sign of, 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 the, of the fact that, that, that even though human beings haven't the capacity to save themselves because, because sin is too great, it possesses us too completely, God will break the chains. He has broken the chains. He has freed us from sin and from death. He has reconciled us to himself in his own person. And he offers us the spirit so that we can actualize that. There's a sign of that right in the midst of the moral Ten Commandments, which are the basis of all of God's laws. God put it there and he added the extra. You know, really, ultimately, the Sabbath is put in the Ten Commandments to remind us of that fact that of God's gracious goodness. It's, it's like even if you become slaves to evil and, and betray me and abandon me as God, from the beginning as a race, even if you do that, like I give graciously in spite of that fact. This is, this is the added meaning that's given to the Sabbath. And we can remember that every single Sabbath. So as we prepare for Sabbath school, this Sabbath, let's remember the unmerited favor of God, which is reflected in the day of rest. It's a day that memorializes not just creation, but the redemption that God gives through his son, Jesus Christ, which was typified by the deliverance of the Israelite nation. Now, lastly, the last few points I'm going to make in the next two minutes is Thursday's lesson. It's entitled, Not for Your Righteousness. Guys, go read Deuteronomy 9. It is such a powerful chapter. It is powerful. God says, listen, guys, you're going to conquer people who are greater than you. And you're going to do this because I'm with you. You're not going to be afraid. You're not going to get scared. You're going to be able to accomplish what you can't accomplish on your own because I'm with you. And, and don't think when you dispossess these people, you will have dispossessed them because you're somehow more righteous than them. You're not more righteous than them. You're going to dispossess these people because the cup of their iniquity is full. It's not because of your, un, your righteousness that you're going to dispossess them. It's because of their unrighteousness. And then God through Moses communicates all of the failings of the Israelites from the time that they left Egypt until that point in time, how they were stiff-necked and hard-hearted and how he was going to give them the land because he was going to fulfill his promise to Abraham. In other words, he says to them, Israelites, you're not getting the promised land because you're better. I don't love you because you're, you're, you're more righteous than those people. I'm giving you this land. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you Canaan because because. Their probation has ended and yours has not. Yours is not. And I have just chosen out of my gracious goodness to save people, to save you. This is, this is what, I, what I am. This is who I am. I'm going to fulfill my promise to Abraham. And that's why you're going to be saved. You're going to be saved because I promised you would be saved. You're not going to be saved because of who you are. You're going to be saved because of who I am, power. So guys, let us remember that we are saved because God has promised he would save us. And yes, we should obey God. Yes, there's positive benefit, positive blessing. The rebellious are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. The obedient will inherit the kingdom of God, 100%. And when I say obedient, I don't mean you have to be perfect. 
or else God will not let you in the kingdom. It's about the course of the life, the trajectory. Are we repentant? And are we aiming for success? Are we aiming for obedience? Is that our goal? Is that our aim? Is that what we're striving for? Then we're, then God covers, you know, the blind spots. There's, that's not the subject necessarily of the day, but that's the point. So, but I just need to make that point clear. We always do when we talk about this subject. But please check out Deuteronomy 9. It's so powerful. It's so interesting. You're saved, not because of your righteousness, but because of mine. That's that's what God is teaching here. Anyways, guys, it's been a blessing to consider the thoughts of the lesson with you. Thank you for spending this 40 minutes with me. My prayer is that your Sabbath school class will be awesome this Sabbath. The Holy Spirit will come and be your guide and your teacher. And that this time together will have prepared you a little better for this week. God bless you guys. Have a fantastic Sabbath, a great week, and we look forward to hanging out with you again. And I'll look forward to seeing you again next week. God bless. Bye.